according to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. If you noticed in the last hymn that we sang, the last stanza was penned by Bill Pinkston from our Grandville congregation. Many of you will have met them as they visited here several times. Some old hymns today, hymns to make us mindful of the passion of our Savior. I want to read from Luke 19, but we'll break into the chapter and begin our reading in verse 28. So Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went in into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, my house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it. We consider the word together. Once again, our heads and our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we enter again your presence, though we are always in your presence. That we would be mindful as we come and ask that you would help us. Again, we confess the need of your Spirit focus our hearts and minds and we pray that you will grant us that very thing and so be near us now as we consider your word we ask in Jesus name Amen there's something I'm sure it's your experience as you know the Lord there's something very compelling about Christ's last visit to Jerusalem it is excited. John phrases it in one place that they would have at that point come and taken him by force and made him king. But he withdrew himself. He would not 
have that excitement of the masses on those other occasions come to a head. But on this occasion, not only does he allow it, he orchestrates it. He sends his disciples, as we've read, to find the colt and bring it, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and it's in very fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee on the foal of an ass. And so here, when you hear the cry of the, the crowds, the accolades of the king of the Jews approaching Jerusalem. To me, it's, it's been interesting, at least in recent years, to consider the different characters, the people that are involved in all of those events. To try and think about their perspective, their lot in life. I mean, an example of that is the Roman soldiers. You know, it just came up in their, their orders, okay? This platoon or whatever regiment they were called, you guys are going to be in Palestine for this long. There they are. They don't know much about the Old Testament. Don't really care. You know, they've got a little political hot spot going on, but it's no problem. There's no army there. We just got to deal with a few, you know, rowdy ones here and there. Whatever. And you're called upon to go arrest Jesus in the garden. That's what we'll see in a moment. You're called upon to guard the tomb. The morning of the resurrection. It's a little unusual turn of events for the Roman soldier. But I say to look from that perspective, the perspective contained in what we've read together today in the triumphal entry, Christ's approach to Jerusalem. Here we see the crowd rejoicing, and we see Jesus weeping. That, I say, is an interesting contrast. If the crowd is rejoicing, if the crowd is lifting the hosannas to their king, and Jesus is indeed their king, and he presents himself to them as such. Why does he weep while they rejoice? I think one of the most common perceptions of the triumphal entry and of the crowds within that Passion Week as we speak of it is the fickleness of the crowd. We see on the one hand them crying, Hosanna in the highest. The wrong page five days later. But that's not what it is. You see here, though they are shouting hosannas, they're not on the right page. They're rejoicing. They're zealously anticipating something from this Jesus that He at this time has not come to bring. They don't understand their own prophecies of the Messiah suffering first and glory to follow. Which just goes to underscore they don't understand the reality of their own need. All they can see is the need of someone to deliver them from the, the cruel affirmation with regard to His person. The evidences of His Messiahship, the evidences of His being the Son of God, 
are plain to see. I mean, this man has wrought miracles that none other have done. So they understand correctly, I say, regarding his person. But they are misguided and mistaken with regard to his work. The disciples themselves were confused on occasion with this. We'll not turn it up, but you will remember the notable account in Matthew 16 where the Lord asks His disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're that prophet. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the bold spokesman, immediately says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord praises Him for His understanding and for that attestation of His being the Christ. And almost immediately as the Lord begins to speak of them concerning his death, Peter says, no, no, Lord. What does the Lord say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. What you just said with regard to me being the Messiah has been revealed to you by the Spirit of God. What you're saying now with regard to me not going to the cross is inspired of Satan and not of God. He says, Thou. And he weeps. You know, I've said that as a side comment often with our attitude toward the world, our attitude even toward apostasy. Do we mock it? Or do we weep over it? Our Lord understands what awaits Him in Jerusalem. Injustice, envy, hatred, murder. And He weeps over the city. I say He weeps while the crowd is rejoicing. I wonder how many times that we have faced or will face similar circumstances in our day. Not circumstances. And they look at their Old Testament Scriptures and they they pull out from it certain promises. Maybe the attractive versions and parts of the promises. But they've missed the suffering of the Messiah. Well, I wonder how many in our times... Look at the status quo. And they know something's messed up. And they would cry out against things that are messed up. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to start a pretty healthy list of things that are messed up and upside down in our culture. You hear the news even this week of, I mean, genuinely debating. But I wonder when we look at these. And again, so many we might consider an agreement with when it comes to moral questions today. Or even political (coughs) questions today. And yet, there's a line that we don't cross 
in, if you will, identifying with these voices. Because the gospel of Christ isn't merely morality. I challenge you sometime, I think, I think I preached a whole message on this a slew of years ago. But you just think sometime on what Jesus and the Pharisees had in common. And you make a list of the issues of our time. What page was this crowd on when it was singing hosannas to Jesus as the approaching king? When they didn't understand the nature of their own need. They didn't understand the need of a suffering Messiah. They didn't understand the need of a gospel of pure So let us ask for biblical discernment in times when at least some portion of the crowd may be rejoicing and Jesus is weeping. Because it may be that there are portions of the crowd in our day that are promoting things that we might agree with. But as we Jews, you could almost feel sorry for them. The multitudes recognize their emptiness. The multitudes recognize their pride. When you think of Jesus even at the outset of his ministry as he began preaching and we, we see the Sermon on the Mount and we see the response at the end. The people marveled. The people are amazed. And said, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was such a difference between his proclamation of truth and just the heavy hand of the religious elite. So I say we can, in a sense, see the frustration in the position of these leaders. And if we think through the events, at least on the surface, we can imagine as Jesus enters Jerusalem this week to the uttermost. But John said in verse 3 there, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus doesn't come to Jerusalem powerless. He doesn't come to Jerusalem as one who's unexpectedly overwhelmed by the circumstances that catch up with him. No, he knows that the Father's given him sovereign control. He orchestrates the events of the week. This one who withdrew himself from the crowds before when they wanted to sing these hosannas. Now, he orchestrates it. He has it to be. I often thought of that answer to the Pharisees when they say, rebuke your disciples. And don't you see the blasphemy of them ascribing these kind of things to you? The Pharisees don't see the blasphemy of refusing to ascribe those things to him. And he said, if these would hold their peace, even the stones would cry out. And the Pharisees and the priests have their desires. They want him to be done away with. But their hands are tied. They don't have the ability. And it's due as we read the narratives quite plain multitude. If you know a time and a place where we can get this guy alone, let us know. 
And the priests make their plans. I'll not turn it up, but in Matthew 26, as they confer one with another, they say we, we, need, to, we need to take him, but not during the feast. Too many people here, the crowds are, are too much swayed by him. We've got to wait till all this excitement of the feast is over. And so it's after the feast that they desire to put their plan into motion. So they say, if you read the account there, after the feast, Jesus says to his disciples, after two days, and Judas and the twelve are gathered there. You ever just have said it would have been better for that man if he'd never been born? And so Satan enters into Judas even then, the Lord sovereignly controlling even that. So Judas approaches the chief priests and he presents them with an opportunity they can't resist, but it, it alters their timetable. They have to hasten and put things together. They've got to rally the troops there that night and have Judas lead them to Gethsemane. They've got to collect witnesses. It's going to be a trial, of course. It'll be a fair trial in the middle of the night. It will be illegal, hasty, but we'll have some disorganized false witnesses and we'll try and cull a few statements out of context to make something like a charge come. And you think of the soldiers approaching. As the soldiers approach and they're saying, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they fall to the ground. It happens all the time. A band of officers are there to arrest someone. And they suddenly collapse. And the person that they're there to arrest surrenders to them anyway. Jesus submits himself to incapacitated guards. He even heals one of the officers from the chief priest that Peter is... Well, deprived him of an ear temporarily. The night passes. Trial occurs. But again, the contrast. We're giving you from above. You're no different than Nebuchadnezzar. Thought he ruled the world. He had to learn to know better. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down with myself. I have the authority. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power. I have the authority to take it up again. And so I say this, this contrast. The powers that be, they have their plans. They're trying to work things. Chief priests are selecting what words they'll utter before Pilate. Pilate's careful what actions he's going to take in this political difficult realness. And you just wonder, those individuals that are involved in our times, that make decisions that impact the world, what their goals are, what their plans are, and we can 
wrestle at times with our theories and you know, somewhere in between the newspaper and the Bible, we're trying to work it all out. There are big pieces of this we don't have to work out. I tell you what I've said many times, I put it very directly to our students in the eschatology class last trimester. The most important part of your eschatology into all that was going to <clears throat> attempt, as it were, to overwhelm the soul of Jesus. I mean, think about the phrase when he asked the inner three to pray with him. He says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. One of the aspects of the prayer he was seeking from the disciples was that he might be sustained through the sorrow to get to the cross. I was reading a little bit more of Hugh Martin, one of those many lights in that galaxy I like to gaze at. And the sorrows and the agony of Gethsemane, it's Luke, the physician, that adds the detail, his sweat. And think about that. What was the weather that day? Well, they had a fire in the courtyard of the high priest's residence where they were warming themselves because, Luke says, it was cold. Jesus is sweating in Gethsemane. Luke says his sweat was as it were great drops of blood. But I say with this looming over him, and it's not an unwillingness. Again, we, we wrestle, and Gethsemane is one of those places we have to reverently observe and enter. But I, I emphasize all of this to say in this contrast, <coughs> The moments that will follow in Gethsemane, the disciples are fearful. They forsake him and they flee. Peter, who has so loudly and boldly and boastfully protested that they will all forsake him, he won't. Well, he does. But then he, he does a little better. He regains a little strength and he follows at a distance and he enters into the court of the house of the high priest. But then when they begin to notice him, Thrice he denies the Lord just as the Lord has said. He denies him with cursing. The disciples fearful. And I wonder, as I say in this contrast, the disciples fearful, but Jesus comforting. They had all the information they needed. What they lacked was enlightenment of heart to understand it. The Lord gave that. There were lessons, particularly for Peter, that had to be learned in the interim. 
But then all those words of comfort in the upper room, the words of sustaining grace for His disciples, for His church, until the end of the age, are brought to their remembrance by the Holy Spirit. They're given to us in the inspired Scriptures of the New Testament. It's time to panic. No. It's time to be faithful. It's time to understand. Yeah, this has happened. And it's happened because of our sin. And God's doing exactly what He said He was going to do. And we need to do what He implored us in the books of Moses to do. We need in these Gentile nations into which we've been drawn to repent of our sin and call upon Him. We need to have gospel thinking. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are panicked. They're not uh, rallying troops to overthrow the Babylonians. They're serving in the Babylonian court. Very calmly, very testimony to the gospel. You know, it's gospel hearts, it's gospel understanding that we need in our times and in our place. So let that be our prayer. God would enlarge our understanding of the gospel. We might be calm in the midst of trial. Let's bow our heads and hearts together. Our Heavenly Father, we come having read familiar portions of your word and we ask that you might by your spirit give us discernment give us help to be on the right track of reviving grace and even of those that pierced him there will be those that look upon him Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, prosper your word to us, we ask in Jesus' worthy name.